a great way to close out the year, right? It's worship and being together, fellowship, God's word. And uh, I appreciate the girls, of course, and, and what Abby said about God using um, the inadequate. I can relate to that. <laughs> Here I am standing before you today. <laughs> so I, I, and I feel, I always feel inadequate. I always feel like if people knew some of the things that I think and some of the things that I say, they wouldn't want to listen to me talk about the Lord. Does anyone relate to that? Like, I'm just so far from perfect. <laughs> but God is so gracious. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> but God is so gracious. And I'm so thankful just for his mercy that he, he allows us to be used by him, these vessels that are so inadequate and so needy and um, sometimes just so ugly, it seems like. But he is gracious. I want to continue in this idea of comfort and joy this morning. Uh, Joe's done a great job with that over the last few weeks. Um, but we want to continue in that. But before we do, let's just pray and ask for God's mercy. Father, we just come before you this morning, this last day of this year, 2023. And God, just the way we are encapsulated in time, we can't escape that. And you are beyond it. So God, we give you praise and we give you glory that you are outside of, of time. And we measure things in these increments, Lord, but you are eternal. So God, I just pray as we close out uh, one chapter, one year, and begin another, that we would just do so wrapped in your grace and your mercy. And that, Lord, we would just... Uh, depend on you more and more and more and remember that we are inadequate we cannot do it ourselves we rely upon you and we thank you that you sent your son you entered time that you created and you felt the limitations of that and lord jesus you were faithful to the end and you overcame death which is measured by time you overcame that and you stepped outside of it and you are in eternity preparing a place for us and we just we give you the praise and the glory for that and we long for the time when we'll be with you forevermore so god help our hearts just to be open to your word this morning and just to be encouraged by what you have to say in jesus name amen and, and that's really it i just want you to be encouraged <laughs> I mean, you know, there's nothing real deep here, um, just a little bit of encouragement is all that I would ask uh, this morning that you would receive. When we think about um, these words like comfort and joy, so many times it seems like they come up this time of year. Maybe uh, peace and the kingdom and hope, these words that, that really seem to resonate at this time of year, but, but aren't they words for every day? I mean, shouldn't we long for and live in comfort and joy and hope and peace and the kingdom every day? 
So I hope that, that we, will, we will do that. And we don't just look at these things at Christmas time. We don't just look at the birth of Christ. Or at Easter, we don't just focus on the resurrection. But every day, isn't that what we live? Is resurrection, new life in Him? So hopefully we will make comfort and joy a, a goal every day of this coming year. And I want to look at some definitions. I wondered, as I was thinking about this, like, are the Bible words the same as what we think of when we think of comfort and joy? Maybe with comfort, you know, you, you think about um, having running water or electricity. These are comforts, right? Or maybe, aren't you thankful that, you, since you live in Oklahoma, that you have air conditioning in the summer? <laughs> That's a comfort, right? Or heat in the winter. We have these things that we think of as comfort. Maybe they make us feel a certain way or, or they, they remove a certain, uh, well, discomfort. You know, you can't define the word with the word, right? So how do you define what is comfort? Things that make us feel a certain way? Is, is, is that what comfort is? We find comfort in that? The, the Bible words are maybe similar but yet a little bit different. So the word comfort is, and, and I don't, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I, I can butcher the Greek language. I can butcher the English language. You know I can butcher the Greek language. So this word paraklesis is the word for comfort. And it, it literally means consolation or solace, which I think we could get on board with that. That kind of fits what our idea usually is of comfort, is being, you know, consoled or living in some sort of solace and, you know, maybe peace or whatever. But it also means a calling near. It means a summons for help. And that was different to me when I looked at this. I was like, comfort, a calling near, a calling alongside is what it literally means. A summons for help. It is literally an invitation to come fort. Think about that. What's a fort? If you were, let's just imagine you're on the, maybe uh, 100, 150 years ago, you're on the American frontier. You're, maybe you're kind of moving west, and, and you're, you're a pioneer, and maybe there's some uh, military installations like forts that were built literally out of trees, right? And I mean, just poles, just logs, these forts, stockade type idea. And so maybe you are out here in the wilderness and there's an enemy after you for whatever reason. Maybe it's uh, um, they're shooting bullets at you or they're shooting arrows at you or whatever it might be and you're running. Maybe you have a few people with you and you're just running and there's a, there's a fort ahead and you are just hoping to, as the arrows and the bullets are whizzing by, you're hoping to make it to the fort, right? And you do. You duck inside, they, they close the gates, and you're inside. And there are high, strong walls inside of here. There's heavy artillery. There maybe there's a lot of soldiers. And the gates shut right before your enemy reaches you. You have come fort. <laughs> You've come to the fort. You have comfort now <laughs> that it's going to be okay, that they can't get to you. Safety, come fort, come to the side of, come stand next to Jesus. The idea of comfort, I love it. 
2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Our consolation our solace, our coming alongside, our coming to fort with him is in abundance through Christ. So comfort means simply to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to come to safety. The idea of comfort. What about joy? Let's look at this word joy. We probably think of happiness on steroids when you think of joy, maybe, right? I mean, that's what oftentimes people are like, well, you know, Joy is just like a, a higher level of happiness because happiness kind of comes and goes, but joy is just always there. Maybe there's some truth to that. Happiness is fleeting, and joy is kind of underlying. It's kind of foundational. It's steadfast. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, this word joy, and again, here goes the Greek, right? I listened to someone pronounce this, and it's very uh, throaty. <laughs> It's the word chara. Chara. It means gladness or calm delight. And interestingly enough, it's the root of the word charis. Anybody recognize that word? Grace. Yeah. It's the word for grace and love. They're all wrapped up in one. That's what I found as I look at this is how many of these words are just so intertwined and wrapped up in one another. When you look at the roots and the different parts of, the, of these words and how they come together, they're just like inseparable. It's kind of like, and we talked about this, I remember one time the word eucharisteo, which has grace in it. It's the word for thanksgiving, and it has to do with grace, and it has to do with joy, and all of these things wrapped up in one word. And it's kind of that way with this word joy. Chara, meaning gladness or calm delight, the root is the word for It's the root of the word grace. So joy and grace go hand in hand. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, you recall when the Magi arrive at the house where Jesus and Mary and Joseph are staying, they had been led there by a star, right? They had been led by this star. We're going to back up to verses uh, at at the beginning of the chapter. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. And I think as a, as a child, when I would hear that story, I just always imagined these wise men, these three kings, uh, Magi, riding camels, and this star is up here, and they're down here, and it's just, it's just wherever it, is, it goes, they go until it just rests over where Jesus is. And, but have you ever tried to line yourself underneath a star? You can travel as far as you want. You're never going to line up underneath, necessarily, right underneath the star. Because, you know, our travel is slow. We can't really move in a straight line. Uh, we're moving on a planet that's moving through space. And so you never really get there. It's like, you know, you try... You're never really there. So I don't know how this worked, but perhaps this light, this star was a little bit different. Maybe it was in the atmosphere. I don't know. 
But they see this star, and that's what sends them out, this light, and it sends them out on their journey. So in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they left where they were, and they went east where they saw this star. But this idea that the star was always there, and they just followed it, when I look at this passage, I go, I'm not sure that's really how it was. Maybe they saw the star, and it started them on their journey, but... It might have not even been there the whole time. Because if it was, why are they here asking where he's at? Why didn't they just follow the star to where he was, right? So they, they, they're asking, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. So when did you first see this star? And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, right. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them. Here it is again. Until it came and stood over where the child was. And here's the the verse When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The star, they found comfort and joy. It started them on their journey, and now here it is again. It's like God's grace shining down right where they needed to be. So they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, great gladness and calm delight. This star was representative of God's grace, right? Joy. Chara. Charis. Grace and joy going hand in hand. Joy and grace. Grace and joy. The inseparable duo. And don't you know at this time, the world that Jesus was born into, they needed comfort and joy, right? I can think of another world right now that could use comfort and joy. (laughs) The one we're living in, boy, do we need that. Comfort and joy and peace. And it only really comes from one place. How has Jesus provided comfort and joy in your life? Have you given that much thought? What does that look like in your life? How has Jesus provided that for you? I've asked a couple of people to share just a second, just a minute, five minutes, three minutes, whatever, of how they have found comfort and joy in Jesus and maybe what that would look like in the coming year. So I'm going to pick on Ron and, and Robert. We'll do Ron first, and I need to get a mic down there. Man. You know a little cord midget that gets in your shop and just tangles stuff up? He's been here. 
really been at work here. Okay. <laughs> you could just sit right there, right? I can sit you right sit here. right there. That would be fantastic. Now, Ron, when I, when I called him and said, Ron, would you do this? He said, do they really want to hear from someone old like me? I'm like, Ron, that's where wisdom lies. I mean, yes. <laughs> so it's yours. I've been asked to keep it to five minutes, so I've written it so I won't go longer. I love these letters, comfort and joy, in the front of this church. What do I know about comfort and joy in the past? I was born in Africa of missionary parents in Zululand, South Africa. Zulu was my baby language. We used to sing in the church, that's, which I, you know in English, joy, 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 with joy my heart is singing, joy, 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 his love to me is known. Uh, my sins are all forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven. My heart is bubbling over with its joy, joy, joy. Zulu, me, me, bo, iasho, inchisio, me, me, bo, uche sungi amaz, sono, sengi la pecona, iasho, inchisio, iti, me, me, bo, joy, joy, joy. <laughs> From when I was seven until I was 16, I had to go to school 200 miles away from the mission station in Durban. I attended Bulwer Road Baptist Church. At age 11, on a Sunday night, I responded in my heart to an invitation to accept Christ, but I didn't go forward. I told my brother as we walked back from the church that I knew Jesus had saved me, and I was very pleased with it. I had joy. At age 16, I was in the States attending my last year of high school at the Gospel Center Church in St. Louis. My heart was full of doubts. Had Jesus really saved me? I hadn't even gone forward. I talked to Mr. McKegg, our youth pastor, and he shared scripture with me. One verse that stood out, and I have since repeated it very often, 1 John 4, verse 13. These things are written to those who know, who have believed in the Son of God, that they may know that they have eternal life. And since that time, I have always known, and it has given me joy. Page two. I attended college, and at college I met Myrna. She wondered, would Africa be a place that she could go to? One Sunday in Chicago, she had a dark girl in her Sunday school class, and she led her to the Lord. And she came back and smilingly told me, I can serve the Lord in Africa. After her doubt, it was placed with joy in her life. We were married. I felt the gift of my was to teach others the word of God in Africa. 
In South Africa, I was on the staff of the Evangelical Teacher Training College. I began by teaching Zulus how to be Christian teachers in mission schools. One morning at a chapel service, the speaker asked those who wanted to accept Christ to raise their hands. There was a male student in front of me who raised his hand. I went to him afterwards. His name was Lloyd Makeu. We became friends. He taught me later when I was principal of the Monkayana High School in Swaziland. He was one of my teachers. I even helped him attend the Johannesburg Bible College. He eventually became a pastor and a full-time leader of his denomination. He went to the Lord before I could go. What a joy to see God using Joy Mageu because I had something to do with it. Later on, after so many years in South Africa, I had a request by our evangelical mission director, Bob Foster, to go to England and be their international director. Myrna and I prayed, and she said, Ron, God called us to Africa. I remembered the scripture in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That evening, I had a phone call from Bob Foster. And guess what? He quoted Joshua 1.9, the same verse that I had had. And peace and joy flooded Myrna's heart and mine. We were with the mission until 1999 when we came here to Goye Village. <clears throat> January, I will be 94 years old. I'm located in an assisted living room at Goye Village. What a joy do I have. I have four children. All of them love the Lord. And they've raised their family, and they are praying that all their children will too love the Lord. And so I pray too that same way. I have 20 GOE assisted living fellow patients to love and to witness to. Each morning I bring to the dining hall a three stanza poem that we sing. Be present at our table, Lord, I won't sing it. Be here and everywhere adored. Thy creatures bless and grant that we may feast in paradise with thee. We thank thee, Lord, for this our food, but more because of Jesus' blood. Let manna to our souls be given, the bread of life sent down from heaven. I handed out to all those presents. One of those yesterday morning was Betty. She's over 100 years old, sitting there at the back of the dining hall where I was. I gave her the copy of this for her to sing. I went back and picked up the copy afterwards. She smiled. She thanked me. And she said, thank you so very much. This has been a help. She used her feet to get her wheelchair back to her room in the assisted living. She collapsed. The, they, they took her to the hospital. Now she has the joy of feasting in paradise today with our Lord. Comfort 
and joy for her. And I will be there next year at Goye Village. I pray comfort and joy will be what I experience. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Ron. You're an expert at that, you know? <laughs> okay, Robert. You know, I don't think this was fair. I should have gone first. <laughs> but uh, before I start, I wanted to say, Brian didn't start off with his usual dad joke, but I think because he didn't, he accidentally put it in the planning and he picked two people who started with the letter R so that he could give the church a little R&R. &R. <laughs> so good job, Brian. Hey, thank you for coming through for me there. Yeah. But uh, so I was asked to kind of talk about this theme and wrap it up in five minutes. And I have a tendency to go over, so I'm sorry ahead of time. Uh, so throughout my life, in my early years, I have experienced a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos, and there was never anything that was solid in my life. And I had zero direction other than the direction I had in myself, which, you know, I thought, great, I'm a self-motivated, uh, aspirational person. That'll get me somewhere. But it wasn't until I was about 18 and I decided that the life that I had wasn't going to do anything for me. It wasn't going to bring me any peace or any comfort uh, or any kind of safety. And so I left and I moved to Tahlequah where I had decided I was just going to you know, hand my life over to God, whatever that looked like. And then, you know, that next week I met Stevie. And I don't know if you guys know her, but she's like the best. <laughs> and she has helped me see a lot as far as... Uh, being committed to Christ and the more that I invest and the more that I commit the more peace and joy and comfort uh, I find in my life and that has led me to this wonderful family that I have of five children and a wonderful woman who helps take care of me and even this year uh, you know we kind of doubled down on our commitment to invest in in God's word and, uh, you know, seek out ministry opportunities. And I have been moved from a job that riddled me with anxiety to a job where I have zero anxiety. And I no longer question, do I want to keep teaching or do I want to keep doing this or try to find outside freelance jobs and things like that. Like, that doesn't exist anymore. And I feel like God has delivered that to me in a special <coughs> little wrapped gift. And I've been reflecting on this Christmas season. And so what I want to do is take this reflection into the new year and see where I can commit myself to God even further. And we have some things set up that we're looking into as far as family ministry goes. And I've talked to some of you guys about it to be praying, but you guys could all be praying for us in that. And so I'd like to end my time with a short prayer. If you guys would just bow your heads with me. <clears throat> Lord God, thank you so much for 
the season of comfort and joy and time to reflect on our lives as we move forward, knowing that you are where we find our solace, our, our refuge. So thank you for doing that for us. And, and for each one of us, it's going to look different. And so I pray that e each person here can, can look back and reflect on, on what you have done for them. And moving into this new year, they can just lean into you just a little bit more. So thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you. So comfort and joy seems like it has a whole lot to do with following, surrendering, just following the Lord, trusting Him, accepting the grace that He offers. Well, I want to share a little story, one of the, unless this happened, it would not rain until God says so, and it turns out it was, what, about three and a half years it didn't rain? So Elijah, he goes and he lives by the brook Cherith, where God sent him ravens to feed him. And I've often wondered, what was that like? <laughs> what would ravens bring you that would be very edible? So this is a rough time. Elijah is in the middle of a drought. He's living by a brook that still has water for a while. And he's being fed by birds. Well, pretty soon, as you would expect in the middle of a drought, the brook dries up. So God told him to go to Zarephath in Sidon, which is outside of Israel, kind of in, in enemy territory, so to speak, and, and that a, wit, a widow there would provide for him. So he goes there, and he sees this widow. She's gathering sticks, and he asks her for a drink. So in the middle of a famine, God's, this man of God goes and asks a widow for water in the middle of a drought. She probably didn't have a lot of water. Isn't that just like God? To put you in a situation that's outside of you, that's not comfortable, I would never on my own go and ask a, a poor, starving, dehydrated widow in the middle of a drought for water. That's not a Christ-like thing to do, is it? But that's exactly what God told Elijah to do. It's so interesting how his ways are so different than our ways. So he goes and he asks her, not only for water, but then he asks her for a piece of bread, right? And she tells him that she just has a little bit of flour and oil for a final meal. Because I mentioned that when Elijah saw her, she's gathering sticks, right? She's gathering sticks for a fire. Why she need a fire? To bake some bread. Her final meal with her son before they just give in to this famine, this drought, and die. So they would just be two more victims of a three-year drought. There were probably hundreds or thousands at this point. So he insists that she prepare him a little bread cake and then some for her and her son. And he tells her that God has declared that her oil and her flour will not run out until he sends rain once again. So this 
widow who likely was a, was a pagan at best, not, a, not of the tribe of Israel, not a daughter of God, probably had numerous gods maybe that she worshipped, I don't know. But she puts everything in, in this God basket at this moment. She says, okay, so you're telling me that if I bake you a cake and then one for my son and I, that the oil and the flour will never run out? That's what your God's saying? Okay. So she does as he asks her to, and she's able to feed herself and her household until the famine is over. I don't know how many people were in her household, but this was more than just what she needed for her and her son. This fed her whole extended family until the famine was over. But then after these things, her son got sick and died. And so here she is like, okay, so God sends this man. He tells me that God's going to be faithful and he's going to do it. And, and, and yeah, it happened, but all this happened just so my son could die. I mean, we were going to die anyway, and now he just prolonged it, and now my, son's, my son has died. So she's questioning this man of God. Really, she's probably more, more questioning God, right, than the man of God. But Elijah carries the boy upstairs and asks God to restore the child's life, and he does. So he brings him back down to his mother, and she declares that the word of the Lord is truth. This, this lost woman in this pagan society is now declaring the word of the Lord is truth. The widow from a pagan land found comfort and joy in the Lord through a simple act of obedience. God used a little bread cake and some oil and brought about a miracle. And I just want to remind you that you are invited this morning into a miracle through a little bit of juice and a little bread cake. You're invited into the miracle of life, of resurrection life, of salvation, of sanctification. What a reminder that we've been given through these emblems. They're not magical. They're not miraculous. But our God, who invited us to dine with him, is. So as, as the girls come and uh, sing another song, uh, we're just going to invite you to come forward just as you feel led and partake of these emblems. But don't forget the reason why. You're living the miracle of life. Now, I'm not talking about your physical life. Life everlasting. So let's pray and then the girls will start.